Welcome to Sales in the Subscription Economy, Season 1, Episode 11. I'm Amanda Northcutt of SubscriptionCoach.com, and my guest today is Kyle Peterson, VP of Sales at Gusto, an all-in-one cloud-based solution that helps over 100,000 small businesses, including Subscription Coach, onboard, pay, and insure their teams. Kyle is a husband, father, and a veteran of the United States Navy, and a sales leader who is passionate about creating a culture that allows individuals to do the best work of their lives through a foundation of trust, integrity, authentic communication, and impeccable commitments. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Excited to be here. Absolutely, man. We're so excited for you to share some sales wisdom with us today. And with that, let's dive into the 12 questions. Tell us a little bit about your sales career, where you've been, how you got to where you are now, and although I'm sure most of us are familiar a bit about Gusto. Yeah, so probably like most sales professionals, I didn't exactly have ambitions of getting into this field as a, as a child. Uh, I, I fell into it. And I would actually say uh, it's helpful context that I, I was passionate about personal wealth management first and foremost, helping people plan and prepare for their future. And I was always amazed by the classes we're required to take in school, right? Whether it's grade school, high school, or college, you're required to take a foreign language or art or philosophy, but never a class on personal wealth management. What is the difference between a credit card and a debit card? How does compounding interest work for you or against you? And it's not to say that art and philosophy and, and learning different languages aren't all good things, right? But I question if that should be a higher priority than everyone understanding how finance works. Mm. So because of all of this, I started my career in wealth management, had my series seven, series 66, and I was working on my CFP. And I just vividly remember one night, a late night of studying, just thinking to myself, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? Because once you get that CFP, you're pretty committed. Uh, and I didn't have a whole lot of other context. It was school, it was the military, and it was this wealth management field. And I've always believed in that saying, and it resonates with me to the core, that I would rather try and fail at something than not try at all and always wonder what if, hmm. especially in the early stages of, of my career. So when I take that, the what if that was creeping into my mind, and I combined it with what I'll just be honest, was a, a motivation of, of money at the time. Uh, money's not everything, but I started to realize if I'm the kind of person who's going to get up at four in the morning and I'm willing to work late into the night and simultaneously you start looking around and you realize that maybe you care a little bit more about your job than what others might say is normal, or you're putting in more work than some of your peers, then a career in sales starts to look pretty appealing because in sales, essentially what you're doing is you're betting on yourself. The more effort you invest, the more you deliver, the more you make right? And it's not fixed. Your income is not fixed to a certain number, regardless of your performance. And because of those two things, wanting to try something new, not being afraid of uh, failure, and just willing to bet on myself, that's how I fell into the world of SaaS sales. So I spent two years selling payroll HR and benefits to large businesses here in the state of Colorado, where you and I are both from. And then Gusto, who was at the time headquartered in San Francisco, but had recently opened their office in Denver. Um, I moved over and joined them about three years ago to help just grow and develop the sales team. And in regards to what Gusto is and what we do, right, we're a people platform for small businesses. 
We're not trying to be everything for everyone. We are passionate about small businesses. We believe they're the backbone of the economy. And we're a cloud-based solution specifically designed for these small businesses, as you said, to onboard, pay, insure, and support their hardworking teams. And we have the privilege of doing it for over 100,000 customers with the ambition to serve many, many more. Fantastic. Yeah. And we've been super happy with uh, you guys' service and have used you for several years now. So I'm, I'm super happy to have this conversation with you because I know you have an excellent product. So kudos. Awesome. Well, thank you. And man, do I agree with you on uh, emphasizing personal finance management in school. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone off on a soapbox about that, which I won't do today. I agree <laughs> that all of those other classes are very important and help us to be um, independent, competent thinkers and, you know, evaluating decision-making criteria. But man, how to manage money. I don't know how we've missed that. So I'm on board. Maybe we need to collaborate on that later on. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Um, okay, great. So what sources do you rely on to stay up to date on the sales and sales management profession? Yeah, I, I would say there's three main sources. One being books. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of reading uh, as many books as possible. I'm a fan of podcasts like this and, and also just some professional mentors that I lean on pretty heavily. Uh, in regards to books, so maybe I'll take these you know, one by one. There's four books that I found to be incredibly helpful and that I regularly revisit. First one is Five Dysfunctions of a Team, mm -hmm. written a while back, pretty common one, but it's to me it's so important because it talks about how to build a, and lead really successful teams because none of us win alone. And I've returned to that book probably five or six times now every time uh, there's a change happening in my current organization of just remembering what that foundation should look like if it's going to be a strong one. Mm -hmm. Conscious Business. So this one's by Fred Kaufman. And that's very much focused on a culture and an environment of responsibility uh, and integrity. And there's a lot of what I consider to be actionable insights that you can immediately apply. And so this is another one I, I strongly recommend leaders, whether you're in the sales profession or not, but just leaders in general, read through. Mm -hmm. Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Yeah. Similar, similar thought here, right? It's a very actionable framework and guidance on just how to inspire a team to do their best work. And there's a theme that's emerging here that you're probably starting to notice. And it's, it's more about building teams and being a strong leader than maybe necessarily just like sales techniques and fundamentals. I, I mean, I've read Challenger. I've I've gone through Sandler, spin selling, snap selling. There, there's a million of these selling um, fundamental type books out there. I'm much more a fan of making sure I'm the best leader and getting the most out of my people because I think it's the people that matter most. Um, and with the strong team, you can improve processes. So that's the theme with the books. The other one I'd throw out, maybe just as a little bit of a wild card, is Blueprints for SaaS Sales Orgs. And this is almost like a workbook and the authors come from just years, decades of leading and consulting for sales teams. And it's pretty much just a play by play walkthrough on how to build a scalable sales org step by step. So blueprints for a SaaS sales org would be the other book I would, I would recommend. Fantastic. And I'll link all of those up in the show notes. And man, do I agree with you about 
the power of a team as we were discussing in our pre-interview about um, me kind of adding recruiting to my toolkit in the last several months. Um, And that's because, you know, I've done consulting for years and years and you can give people the best blueprint for success, the best roadmap. Um, You can come in and be an effective uh, fractional executive. But as soon as you leave, if they don't have the team, if they don't have the right butts and the right seats, it all falls to pieces. Um, So I love your emphasis on, on team building and um, integrity and your approach to how you're kind of cultivating your culture at Gusto. Um, And I also like these book recommendations a lot. Um, I have all of them except for blueprints for SaaS sales or, or, yeah, but I will fix that by the end of the day for sure. That sounds like a (laughs) great playbook. Um, I do want to go back real quick. So you have a group of professional mentors and that's definitely been thematic throughout these sales leaders that I've been interviewing for this season of the podcast. Um, How did you, and I know, um, Oh, I'm going to forget the organization, Modern Sales Pros. I know that a lot of people are, are part of that and utilize that and have mentorship and um, a lot of professional camaraderie there. But how did you get hooked up with the mentors that you have? Everyone, there, there's three that uh, I work with on a, on a frequent basis. And everyone has come just organically. I, I feel when sometimes you seek out mentorship that's just forced and both parties feel it. I, I at least have not experienced it to be as fruitful as the ones that happen organically. Mm. Um, so it's come up just through organizations that I've, I've met either through your business partnerships. Uh, one of them is actually the former CEO of the company my mother worked for um, a while back. And when I was growing up and, and fascinated about entrepreneurship and, and where I wanted to eventually study when I went to college, um, Really having some some helpful conversations with him proved to be invaluable, and we've stayed in touch. And then there's some some more structured ones, right? Like Revenue Collective. I've recently been having conversations with Dallas, who I, I believe yeah. you actually just interviewed a while mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. Um, and trying to expand that because it's to me a very much a give get type relationship, and I feel that I have just received so much valuable insight from mentors. And I think there's obviously much more for me to continue to learn, but I want to give back and a structured organization like Revenue Collective will help me to do that. So I would say there's not a specific place I've turned to. It's just organic conversations, people you look up to because they hold the same values and obviously people who've been successful and have a track record of of being able to practice what they preach. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you brought up Revenue Collective and I'm also a firm believer that you get out what you put in. So um, that's great. Um, all right, next question. I have a million more, but um, I'll, for the sake of brevity, <laughs> have you found? Well, Go ahead. And sorry, Amanda, just a couple of other things because uh, I mentioned I'm I'm a big fan of podcasts, and there's there's I'm going to say a handful that I do want to share with the listeners. Yes. Some of them might be pretty common, some may not, but uh, there's obviously yours. Um, I would also say Sales Hacker with Sam Jacobs. I find mm-hmm. to be very helpful. I tend to be outside doing yard work when I'm listening to Sales Hacker yeah. somehow, some way. Uh, sales Leadership Podcast with Rob Jepson, The Brutal Truth About Sales with Brian Burns. And then the last one is How I Built This with Guy Raz. And that one obviously is not sales related at all. But to me, it's more about inspiration. And in the field that you and I are in sales, whether you're an IC or you're the CRO, right? It's a challenging job. Um, and I just love hearing the stories about the individuals who persevered they overcame their challenges. They have that ownership mentality and they just applied it to their, you know, individual success. So how I built this is 
one that just really seems to motivate me when times are getting tough. And I know it's a popular podcast, but can't recommend that one enough. Cool. And I assume this is the same Guy Raz. There can't possibly be two podcast hosts named Guy Raz that um, co-hosts Wow in the World. It might be. I have not heard of that podcast, but I, I agree. It's a pretty unique name. So it might, might be the same guy. I, I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. Anybody out here with kids, <laughs> that's my son's absolute favorite podcast. It's like really educational and fantastic for kids. So listen to Wow in the World and How I Built This. And I'll link to both of those in the show notes. <laughs> in that even though that's not your recommendation that's mine um okay anything else on that one no no that's it and i i've appreciated this question i'm listening to your podcast i've already gotten a few books on my amazon in my amazon cart because there's some great recommendations out there yeah absolutely that's i'm so excited to be able to ask sales leaders this question because i am a monster book nerd and i just fly through them um maybe a little bit less so with the kiddo at home full-time but um i'm doing my best All right. Have you found running a sales team in a recurring revenue organization different than a traditional one-time transaction sale? Why or why not? Yeah, I've actually, personally, I've never participated in the traditional one-time transaction sales process or model. Um, so maybe what I'll do to answer this question, Amanda, is I'll, I'll speak to what appealed to me about the recurring revenue subscription-based type model. Yeah. Uh, and it's really, it was really three things. So going back to when I was leaving personal wealth management and getting into this type of sales process, one, I believe it's very much about setting proper expectations, right? Like if you're going to, if you're going to do it right, you have to be setting proper expectations and which ties into point two, and that's maximizing customer value. And that's what allows you to drive the greater LTV, right? The higher net revenue retention, ideally North of hundred percent and referrals and organic, not just this paid demand gen. So Mm -hmm. those two things are are very, very critical. And then the third one is there's just, there's no shortcuts to growth in this type of model, right? Every company says they put their customer first. And I think every company intends to, right? I don't think anyone's maliciously um, putting, you know, false advertising out there. Everyone wants to put the customer first, but I think a fewer number than those who promise it actually have the process and priorities and incentives in place to do just that. So there's no shortcuts in this particular sales process. And those who do it best are going to be the ones that I feel rise to the top. And that's where I want to be. Mm, I love that. And we're we're going to dive into, I think, each of those things a little bit more in following questions. If not, I have specific ones I'll come back to. But um, okay, so what changes to your projections, strategy, and sales tactics have you guys made in light of the economic challenges brought on by COVID-19? Yeah, COVID-19, um, it's like as soon as you just hear that phrase, it's, it brings on like PTSD, right? It's Blood, it's, blood pressure, I, yeah. It's absolutely incredible the impact this has had on our world. Uh, to get to your question of what changes have we made to our, our strategy and tactics, I, I would say, you know, so we're in a bit of a unique position. Um, Gusto right now, as I mentioned earlier, we have over 100,000 small businesses that we help with payroll, HR, and benefits. Mm -hmm. And so two things stand out right there. One, small businesses, that's who we serve. These are the ones being hardest hit by COVID. And second is payroll. The government has been moving really, really quickly on proposing, debating, voting on bills, and then enacting them into law, right? So the biggest one is the CARES Act. It was over $2 trillion worth of economic relief to families and businesses. And of that, it was, it was 350, maybe it was like $349 billion were earmarked 
for small businesses through what they call the PPP or Paytech Protection Program. Mm -hmm. So for us and for me, our immediate strategy is really just to do everything we can to go above and beyond for our customers like you to make sure that one, you're aware of the new legislation and two, we provide you with the resources you need to go and apply for those loans and eventually their forgiveness because we know what's first come first serve. So I wouldn't say that we've made significant changes. It, it aligns with what I was just saying earlier. We're, we're focused on maximizing customer value. And if we do that right, not only does it feel good, not only does it align with our company values, but it's going to show up in our customer retention. If we're there for them when they need us most, then hopefully they'll continue to support us and look at us as a partner, not just a, a business. And it'll help us just maintain some of that, that goodwill while all of the other you know, future customers are hunkered down just due to the, all the uncertainty in the economy. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who are listening who don't, you know, get emails who are not customers of yours, um, are there, was there specific messaging you guys put together to help um, kind of level with your customers and help them uh, feel more confident about, you know, the ever-changing landscape? Or how did you guys actually go about that on a tactical level? Yeah, it's, it's been a combination of emails. It's been our in-app uh, messaging. We also have a, an entire resource hub for customers and non-customers alike. I mean, going back to, we are so passionate about small business. I'm passionate about small business. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm at Gusto. Um, we have this resource center, which I'll, I'll give to you after the call, Amanda, and you can link it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. So whether you use Gusto for your payroll services or not, it keeps you up to date on all the legislation that's being passed. There's over thousands of pages now, right? And that we can't possibly expect every small business owner to be able to one, receive that and two, digest it in a timely fashion. We have a whole team for that. Mm -hmm. And so we distill it down and make it actionable. And uh, we're pretty proud of, of the work we've done there. Yeah, what a fantastic and strategic quick pivot you guys made in that. And uh, yeah, I would definitely second that resource library. Um, it's fantastic. So thank you guys for putting that together. Um, me, as a small business owner, I certainly appreciate that. So well done. Um, what's your best advice for sales teams competing in the subscription economy right now, given the sudden economic downturn? Uh, yeah, I'd say three things. One, and probably in this order, right? Is, so reevaluate your value prop um, in the economic downturn, especially one as precipitous as COVID-19 is, mm. is created. Uh, there's likely little to no discretionary budget and a minimal appetite for change from your prospects. So what this means to me is you better be pretty tight on the solution that you're selling being a solution to a problem worth solving, right? I mean, that's, you have to believe that deep down to your core. And it's a great time to regroup and refine what that value prop and what that messaging sounds like. So let me give you an example of how things might have pivoted 180 degrees. Let's say you're selling a solution that increases the, the productivity of this prospect or your potential customer. Pre-COVID, your customer, the decision maker, might have seen your solution as an opportunity to put, put time back in their day and let them focus on some more revenue generating initiatives or activities for their business. Now, post-COVID, that same prospect or future customer and that same solution, they might be, that, that prospect might be forced to operate with a reduced workforce 
right? So now they're seeing a solution as a way to control costs and, and not necessarily accelerate top line revenue. So it's the same solution, same prospect, but given the different kind of macroeconomic circumstances, you're approaching it with a much different, in a much different way. It's not more time to focus on revenue generating activities. It's allowing you to be productive with less and control costs. So mm-hmm. I would say reevaluate your value prop is, is the first thing. The second one is revisiting fundamentals. Uh, we're constantly doing this. This shouldn't be advice, right? Every, I, I say this out loud and as the words were leaving my mouth, I'm like, wow, this really shouldn't be <laughs> new advice. But I, if you've done this long enough, you just know that you can never revisit the fundamentals often enough. And odds are for most of the of us sales leaders out there, when we see a slowdown like this in the economy, you're probably also seeing a slowdown in the average sales cycle, right? People are pushing, they're reluctant to make decisions until they just get more clarity into what their business is going to look like. And when your sales cycle starts to extend, you're getting, you're, you're going to have an increased risk of losing the deal to every sales professional's biggest competitor, which is the status quo, mm-hmm. right? Most deals are not lost to a direct competitor. They're lost to no decision. So when the sales cycle slowing down, we better be working closely with our teams on the fundamentals of a thorough discovery and impeccable next steps. And then maybe a third one is just, this is a little more out of the box, I'm trying to be creative here, but think about ways you can flex your team. So if you're starting to feel as a business, this recession could last longer than anyone initially anticipated, right? We're hearing it could be a V-shaped recovery, or maybe this drags on to a full-blown depression for five quarters. Mm-hmm. Think a little bit outside the box on how you can optimize the exit velocity for when this turns around, right? No one believes this is a forever thing. It's not a matter of if we recover, it's when. Right. So how can you be optimizing right now for the fastest exit velocity? And one thing you could be looking at is flexing your team cross-functionally within your org. Maybe it's to accelerate a product launch um, that will give you that much more total addressable market when it does turn around. So I guess to recap, reevaluate your value prop, revisit the fundamentals in particular on thorough discovery and impeccable next steps. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, get out, think out of the box on how you can maximize your exit velocity, even if it involves flexing your team to something that'll pay dividends in the future. Love that. Very actionable. I think my favorite quote from your answer to that question was be a solution to a problem worth solving. So I want everybody to remember that. I think that's fantastic advice. If you work for a company who doesn't do that, um, get them to change it or find another job. (laughs) uh, You're going to be able to sell in that climate with that kind of a like true value proposition. So that's great. And yeah, this is the best time to go back and and get your sales playbook in order and your your battle cards and your discovery, like you said, Um, and just getting back to the basics. We never have time to do this in regular life. And so this is great time to, you know, for reflection, to take pause and um, rethink how we're doing business and make sure that you've got your kind of A game turned on for when the economy does turn around. And I like that you're emphasizing that it will. We all maybe need a little bit of optimism and encouragement right now. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but, but great thoughts. All right. How is cross-departmental communication handled at Gusto? For instance, how intertwined is sales with product marketing and customer success? Yeah, I, I feel pretty strong about how we're doing this. And while there's always room for improvement, uh, I'll, I'll spend some time highlighting on what I think needs to be true to have that strong cross-functional um, 
integration within these different departments. So alignments on what your priorities are, right? So set a, whatever the frequency is, maybe it's monthly, maybe it's quarterly, maybe it's annually, but set those OKRs or KPIs is another acronym a lot of people are using, right? Is set those together. And by doing it together as sales, as marketing, as, as engineering and product and development, and maybe your insights and operations team, then you're ensuring that you're not, you don't have conflicting priorities and you're not going in different directions. Um, because inevitably, unless I've just hadn't had a, haven't had the opportunity to find the organization that always has a plentiful amount of resources, right? Inevitably, there's less resources than what is needed or wanted. And there's always going to be constraints. And this is regardless of what stage your company's in. If you're brand new, series A, or got your seed funding, or if you're you know, the largest Fortune 500 company out there. And so these, these setting these aligned KPIs or OKRs is just going to be a forcing mechanism for the team to make sure that you are equally aligned on what those priorities are. And, and what I would say as important is what you're consciously deprioritizing. Mm-hmm. So, and you need to say that out loud and make sure everyone understands, right? By, by prioritizing our EPD resources here, as opposed to there, then what we're deciding to do is, is maybe focus on reducing our, our cost to serve. And in turn, we're consciously deprioritizing top line growth, or maybe it's the opposite, but either way there's gives and gets, and you better be aligned on what your priorities are and equally as important what you're consciously deprioritizing. That's great. The, the other one is visibility. And this is just anything in life, really, if you're working with more than one person is having these recurring meetings with the key stakeholders from each department and make sure that you are, are aware of what's taking place and you're accountable, right? So review those OKRs and those KPIs. Where are we on track? Where are we off track? Why do we need to pivot? These are the questions you should be asking when you review those initial OKRs and KPIs. Yes, absolutely. This is all really, really great. Um, I love the set the KPIs, set your true north, get everyone rowing in the same direction. Um, I love the consciously deprioritizing too, because you're right. No one has all the resources that they want. We cannot have it all. Um, And and so that's a great kind of add on to that uh, comment about getting everyone going in the same direction. I love the accountability um, aspect of this too. Do you guys follow the EOS framework or anything like that for accountability? Do you have scorecards or how is that managed at Gusto? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's scorecards, but when we're setting the, the objectives and the initiatives, right, is there's very specific quantifiable key results, right? They need to be specific. They need to be measurable. They need to be ideally uh, attainable, but a bit of a stretch and time constrained. And so if you're doing that right, if you've set a good OKR KPI, it meets all of that criteria, then when you revisit whatever that frequency is, it'll be pretty obvious if you've missed or hit that initiative. Awesome. So as a sales leader, do you believe that individual members of the sales team should be held accountable for the retention of their customers? Yeah, this is uh, always a a tricky question, right? I, I guess I would say no, but like that's the, that's the framework of my, <laughs> my answer here. So mm-hmm. I feel sales professionals should be compensated for the acquisition motion, not necessarily the retention, but th- I do think there's some uh, processes or protections you should put in place. So the first one is what's commonly referred to as a clawback. 
right? So if the customer doesn't get through onboarding for whatever reason, to me, for the most part, this is saying sales didn't conduct a proper qualification and therefore, right, you're, you're not going to get compensated for that deal. Even if you got them to sign on the line, if they don't get all the way through the onboarding process, hard no. Mm-hmm. The other one is as a sales leader, you should be crystal clear on what good looks like. And by setting OKRs, even for your team on success metrics like cancel rate or churn rates, you can start to apply SPIS for this. So you can say as a leader, hey, I know there's going to be situations where something goes wrong and maybe somebody doesn't make it through the onboarding process. But as long as it's below this threshold, right, then there's some form of compensation potentially tied to that. And I, I would also recommend you, you have a survey in place. So whatever your customer's onboarding process looks like, ask them afterwards how satisfied they were. Like, what was the uh, effort level? Were proper expectations set? What's the you know, expertise score of your, your, the sales rep that you worked with? And by asking those questions and compiling that feedback, then you can have very specific coaching conversations with your sales team. So no, I don't think they're the majority of a sales professional's compensation should be tied to retention. Um, I think it should be to the actual onboarding piece mm-hmm. or the landing of the customer, I should say, but obviously make sure you have some key things in the, in place to ensure you're not just signing up anyone and everyone, regardless if they make it through onboarding and you're promising things you can't actually deliver. Yeah, those are great ideas. Uh, setting up the spiffs to incentivize certain behavior, obviously making sure your MQLs match your SQLs and incentives are properly aligned both with customers and internally as well. Like you were talking earlier about um, properly setting expectations and how important that is in recurring revenue organizations and then creating that quick feedback loop and getting feedback um, immediately uh, after the onboarding process on how your salesperson did and you guys having the space to take action and like you said, take those specific coaching um, or have those specific coaching conversations if you're having a problem. So that's great advice. I love this question because it's such a hot topic right now and everybody hands, handles it differently. Um, I'm pretty sure Dallas Hoganson gave me a flat no <laughs> um, <laughs> in my interview with him last week. And so it was great to just kind of talk that out. So thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, back to expectation setting. So how do you coach your sales team up on properly setting expectations for recurring revenue customers? First things first, I would say you you need to coach your team away from what I think is a natural tendency, which is to just feature functionality dump. Mm -hmm. If you're selling based on shiny new features, then there's really no meaningful hook and you're just going to lose that customer as soon as the next shiny new thing hits the market. So that's Mm -hmm. like step one. Mm -hmm. Then you need your team to to figure out what the problem the customer is trying to solve, right? So this is going back to like sales 101, Mm -hmm. avoid feature functionality dumping, figure out what the problem the customer has that they're trying to solve and, or maybe they didn't even know they had. And the next one is really the critical step. And I think where so many people fall short until they get that the coaching um, on this and hopefully all sales leaders are doing this, but don't just stop at identifying the problem, then go to that third and fourth level of discovery and identify what the impact of that problem is. Mm-hmm. Cause once your prospect is the one articulating the impact your solution is going to have on their business, 
then they're a lot less likely to leave when a solution that only addresses surface level pain hits the market. So those three things, avoid feature functionality dumping, figure out what the problem is, but most importantly, what's the impact of that problem? And that to me is how you're gonna really drive retention and maximize that LTV. And then obviously this is all with the assumption, Amanda, that it's a team sport. Your CX teams need to provide a great experience. Product needs to be reliable, right? If all of those are true and sales is doing the three things I just spoke to, I think you've, you've got a winning formula there. That's right. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, are you guys currently in a hiring freeze? No, we're not in a freeze. Uh, I would say we're just being very selective in which additional roles you know, we determine to be most critical to the business. Mm-hmm. Which is probably good in uh, war times and peace times. So that's a great kind of thing to right. go back to the drawing board on and evaluate what we really need done and who we need to hire for that. Um, when you guys do source talent, uh, what works? What hasn't worked? Is there any advice you want to share with other sales leaders on team building? Yeah, you know, we have a, a really strong internal team on that. Um, I would say just outside of even how Gusto handles things, but as a sales leader, be really explicit and scientific on on what your ideal hiring hiring profile looks like. I, I think there's kind of two schools of thought here, and I've heard some some leaders say, "I just want to have a natural conversation and get to know the person, and by doing that, they let their guards down, and I can maybe see a little bit more about their true character." Um, and while I don't fundamentally disagree with that, I think there's a different way in which you can accomplish the same thing. So. I would say identify what that good profile looks like. Do they have the skills? Do they have the value alignment? Can they back it up with experience, right? So make sure you're asking the second and third level questions on how they've demonstrated the skills they're saying that they have. Yes. And then maybe for that second school of thought, have, a, have an interview where you just take the candidate out to lunch with a cross-functional partner. And that's maybe where you can get some, some not only cross-functional feedback and involvement in your hiring process, but also learn a little bit more about their character when they're outside of the, the four walls of the inner room, interview room, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. So is that pretty much how you guys test for cultural fit or are there other kind of specific elements you guys um, look for? Yeah, that would be a good test of the, of the cultural fit. And then obviously reference checks are another big part of that. Yeah. Perfect. Anything else on that? No, we've, we've got a, a strong team in place. Where I'm, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, that's a huge asset. And you guys have obviously built a tremendous team, um, your business as successful as it is. So, and your hiring philosophy lines up uh, perfectly with what I do and what I've read and putting together that scorecard and understanding exactly the job that you need done and then finding um, highly qualified candidates who have a track record of doing those very things. And then on top of that, of course, the cultural fit being very important. So that's great. Thank you. What are one to three pieces of advice you'd give other sales VPs competing in the subscription economy? And is that different than what you would have said before COVID-19? It's a great question. Uh, I would say, I would say my advice is the same. Uh, maybe just a little more emphasis post COVID, but assuming most sales teams right now have more capacity than normal, I would say focus on your people. It's, it's a theme that emerged from the books I was recommending. And it's one that just stems from my time in the Navy, but I, I truly believe people are the most important ingredient, um, to a successful, just business. They are, 
everything as far as I'm concerned. And so I regularly talk to my team about what I've kind of called the, the success formula. Um, the formula is success equals skill times will. And before I get into what that, that means to me, Amanda, I'll just say that and level set maybe that everyone's definition of success is different, right? Some people say it's health for some people. It's a close family and friends. Uh, some people it's income. The purposes or the context in which I'm discussing success right now is, is around being a top performing sales rep or sales org. Mm -hmm. So going back to the, the formula, success equals skill times will let's define each of those two variables. Will to me is the effort that you or the team are putting forth, right? It's the activity, it's the grind, it's being willing to work for more than you wish for it, quite frankly. There are not shortcuts to this, and it doesn't matter how talented you are if you're not making the reps. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my definition of will. Skill then talks a little bit about getting better at your craft every day. So let's say you use challenger sales method, right? Practice challenger, read the book, do some online micro learnings. If you're using Sandler, practice Sandler, uh, do the online micro learnings, write down talk tracks to common objections, leverage tools like Gong to review calls with your peers or your manager, get 1% better every day. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're both in there is because they're both required, um, but by themselves, they're, they're not sufficient, right? So it doesn't matter how many calls you're making, if every conversation is ineffective and right. vice versa, it doesn't matter if you're an expert in understanding sales strategies and tactics, if you're not out there going and getting the reps. And yeah. so while this sounds super simple, it, it's, it sounds simple, but it's not easy, right? So the concept is simple, but doing it is not easy because it requires you to push yourself. And I'm a big sports fan. So I always use analogies with my teams. And if you look at Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan, right? Tiger Woods from a skill perspective, he was incredibly aware of what the proper fundamentals and mechanics of a golf swing look like, but that's not where he stops. Right. I remember back in his heyday, he'd have a 10 stroke lead in the masters going into Sunday. And here they are interviewing people on Saturday after the rounds. And where's Tiger Woods? He's out at the driving range hitting mm -hmm. another hundred balls, mm -hmm. not because he doesn't know what he's doing, but because he needs the reps. Same thing with Michael Jordan, right? He might have the perfect free throw mechanic, he's out there every pregame shooting dozens and dozens of free throws. And so if you're a sales leader, you need to be having this conversation with your team that you should be doing both. You should be hustling more now, now more than ever, and you should be getting 1% better. And I guess the, the, the actionable challenge I have to all the sales leaders listening to this is take an honest assessment of your team and then ask yourself the question, are you as the leader driving the appropriate investment in developing your team skills and are you empowering their will hmm. and be honest about it. Love that. Um, yeah. Success equals skill times. will. I like how you explained all that. That makes a lot of sense. And as of right now, yeah, no one has an excuse not to be getting 1% better a day at least. Um, there's right. a million resources out there, including the ones that you mentioned earlier in the interview. Um, so yeah, those are great thoughts. Do you have anything else on that question before the last one? No, that's it, Amanda. Cool. All right. I'm a firm believer that sales makes the world go round and we have a tremendous responsibility to get the economy moving again. How can we speed up that process? Yeah, this feels almost like a cheat question uh, for me going back to just, you know, what we do and what I do directly is, you know, Augusta, we've got a very unique privilege uh, and opportunity to 
directly help in this recovery by supporting our customers combat COVID and by helping them get the access to the resources the government's allocated to them. So, you know, to date, the, the number I just most recently saw is we've helped companies apply for over $3 billion with a B in funding. Oh. So we're pretty focused on just continuing to execute there. Mm-hmm. But for all the listeners who may not be in this exact same situation, I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a tricky question. I guess, I guess I would just say be a decent human, right? Lead with empathy. Try to add value with every conversation. Be a decent human. Love that. That's a great note to end on. Be a human, be empathetic, add value. Thank you again to Kyle Peterson of Gusto for his insights and advice. Check out the show notes on subscriptioncoach.com slash podcast and sign up for my email newsletter where I read, curate, and summarize the best content on subscription sales and sales team recruiting on the web every week on subscriptioncoach.com. We'll see you next time on the sales and the subscription economy podcast.